You are listening to the Hill Country Bible Church podcast. To learn more about Hill Country Bible Church, including our gathering times, visit hcbc.com. Today's message comes from Tim Hawks. Well, good morning. I want to welcome each of you to Hill Country Bible Church, those joining us online at Steiner Ranch, one of our other venues. We're excited to be together today. And for many of you, you experienced something special last week. Last week was our week of prayer and fasting, where we took time off to seek the Lord and to grow in our faith, and our staff spent the whole week together praying worshiping, growing, and many of our lay leaders joined us in that. Many of you did in your own lives as well. Uh, I want to make sure you get one of the resources that we used this week that was really our guide through the week, extremely helpful. It's a book by Dane Ortland, and the book is entitled Gentle and Lowly. That's all you have to remember, Gentle and Lowly. It's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. It's based on what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's the invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I'll give you rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus describes his heart, and this book unpacks that teaching about who Jesus really is and says, like, if you really knew the heart of Jesus, you would come to him. So I, I just encourage you to grab the book, pick it up, and read it. It'll be really, really helpful to you. I was also um, a little bit concerned because we've been living through this COVID thing, and I'm thinking, like, this is a major public health crisis, right? I mean, it's been a couple of years now of our lives have been changed in lots of ways, and now we're in the middle of Omicron, and I just keep telling people, if you feel sick enough that you might think about going to get a test, just stay home. Could be cedar fever, could be COVID, but don't hang out with the rest of us and get us all like having a quarantine, okay? So anyway, that's my advice, my philosophy. And it seems like, like every time it seems like we're getting better, it gets a little worse and so forth. But something that is even more concerning that no president's going to pay attention to, no CDC is going to worry about. I mean, they may pick up something, but something that's coming. In Christianity today, the foremost publication for Christians in the United States, they actually have their lead article in November about a coming public health crisis that will play itself out over the next 15 to 20 years in the brokenness of many people's lives. The people who wrote this article are the people who do the Human Thriving Project at Harvard, a longitudinal study that's gone over 70 years, and they've watched the trends that create human thriving, and they are seeing an alarming trend. That alarming trend, now this is Harvard, this isn't like a Christian institution, right? Harvard... The study group is saying that the decline in regular church attendance 
will have incredible impact on public health. They've been comparing people who attend church and people who don't attend church for a long time, and they've trailed, tracked them to see what that actually looks like. Now they've actually begun to study those people who have been saying for years, I'm not into organized religion, I'm a spiritual person in my heart, and what they've discovered is the increased health breakdowns with them in their marriages, relationships, physical health, emotional health, is equal to people that don't attend at all, not equal to people who attend regularly. And here's what their findings are. This is profound. Here's what they've studied, and here's what they've concluded. And I want to read it right out of the, book, out of the magazine here so you can see where it's coming from. So people who attend regular, attend church weekly, take time out to stop and go to a place of worship to worship God with other believers, have a 33% reduced risk of death. For all your CrossFit friends, <laughs> tell them to add church. Like seriously, this is what these guys are seeing in the culture. An 84% reduced risk of suicide. Like all the suicide awareness programs we got, 84% reduced risk, 29% reduced risk of depression, 50% reduced risk of divorce. And people are saying, like, like, I want to improve my marriage? Go to church. 50%. 68% reduced risk of deaths of despair for women, and 33% reduced for men. 33% reduced risk of adolescent illegal drug use. 12% reduced risk of adolescent depression. You want to do your kids a favor? Bring them to church. Now, the sad news is that if these studies that they've been following prove themselves to be true, that's a lot of pain for a lot of people who've said to themselves, well, it's not about what I do, it's actually about my heart. You know, I tried to tell that um, to my um, physical therapist, my doctor, tried to tell it to um, the guy at the gym who I'm supposed to work out. Like, I, I, I didn't show up to work out this week. I, I did it in my heart. <laughs> when your teenager says to you, Dad, hey, I went to school in my heart today. <laughs> like, it's so interesting how Satan has such a way of getting us to think things that we wouldn't apply in any other area of our life. Honey, I told you I loved you in my heart today. If you didn't hear it, that's on you. <laughs> right? They conclude this article by saying going to church remains central to true human flourishing. It's just so interesting when you think about it because God has actually designed us to stop focus on him, to actually put that into the flow of who we are and to get together with each other. In other words, God is a relational God and showing up 
for him and for others is where human flourishing takes place. Now, we're in the study of Jesus' final words before he goes to the cross. Literally, he's talking to his disciples within hours of his betrayal, and we've been noticing what Jesus says about thriving. Jesus wants you to thrive. He gives us a plan to thrive. And we saw last week, as we looked at John chapter 13, and you can turn your Bibles, that's where we're going to be today. As we looked at John chapter 13, Jesus said he was going to show them the full extent of his love, and he started by taking the form of the lowest slave, and at the dinner table, he washed the disciples' feet. And we learn from that that thriving comes not in the pride of selfishness, making it all about me, but in the humility of our service. When we make our life about serving others, we actually thrive. When we make our life about Everything coming my way, my happiness be about me. We don't thrive in that environment. Jesus went on to show them how to care for those who were opposed to him. He invited Judas to the meal. He washed Judas' feet. He put Judas in one of the seats of honor, even though Judas had already betrayed him and was going out to turn him into the authorities. And we learn that thriving comes not in the well-treatment of our friends. Of course we treat people well who treat us well, but in the kindness we extend to our foes. Forgiveness creates freedom. Kindness makes our lives easy as we extend it to other people as well. And now we dive right back into this discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples as we look at verse 31, now Jesus sends Judas out, says, okay, go do what you're going to do. You're committed to do it. And then he continues this conversation of his final words with his disciples. And he says in verse 31, when he was gone, that's Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified, is to glorify, Excuse me, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him as once, at once. What Jesus talked about, he's saying, I'm going to go to the cross. Like, that's, I'm, that's the glorify. And I'm going to show the Father's love for the world when I go, but the Father's going to glorify me by raising me from the dead. What do we see here? With God, it's all about relationships. God takes care of. Jesus, Jesus takes care, like they're all connected to each other, and Jesus invites the disciples in. He calls them my children in verse 33. You're part of this family. That's all about relationships. You're part of this family. And then he drops the bomb on them. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Whoa. Okay, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you. What's going to happen to us is the natural question. And Jesus gives them two verses that are profound for human thriving. He says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What he's saying is, is in my absence, I'm calling you to be Jesus to each other. You're going to do for each other what I have done for you. 
Now, when we think about that, that's a profound understanding of how life will happen for people who follow Jesus going forward after Jesus leaves this world. So here's the principle. We thrive as we share our lives in community. We thrive as we share our lives in community. Now, here's what's so strange about what Jesus says right here. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Now, what's new about that? In the Old Testament, we're told to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? When Jesus asks the question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So love one another, that seems like an old commandment. So what is Jesus saying here that's new? Look at what he says. Love one another as I have loved you. In other words, what our relationship should look like is the way Jesus had loved his disciples. Now think about that. Jesus had been involved in every aspect of their life. Jesus was with them every day for over three years. They, they slept in the same camp. They ate from the same bowl, they did life together, they learned from each other, they worked together, and Jesus was guiding them the whole way. He met their physical needs by feeding them. He met their relational needs by laughing with them and weeping with them. But mostly Jesus infused every aspect of their life with the love of the Father and how to live that love in every relationship. Jesus put that in to the whole equation. And so my question is, do you have people in your life that are showing you the love of Jesus? And I'm not talking about a sermon. I'm not talking about a podcast. I'm talking about a person. Like somebody in your life that actually is speaking into who you are and bringing the revelation of God's love into your everyday experience, whether it's work, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your attitude, whether it's a habit or a hurt, hang up, that's bringing that in. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, who are you being Jesus to? That's a real question. Students, as you think about your peer group, like is Jesus part of that? Do you have friends that are actually helping you grow in your faith? And you're helping them grow in their faith, and that becomes a normal conversation? Interestingly, a couple months ago, I had a friend uh, talking to me on a Sunday, and he was just saying, Tim, like, I I had a weird experience last night. Uh, I mean, it's actually kind of normal, but it it was weird afterwards. We got together with a group of Christian families. We hung out. The kids played together. We watched little sports. We we talked. Um, We were together for like three and a half, four hours, and then we went home, and I realized on the way home, the name of Jesus was never mentioned one time in our conversation, except in the obligatory prayer for the food. Like we never talked about our relationship with Jesus. And he said, it's so strange. A group of Christians get together and we can talk about everything, but we're not encouraging each other to grow in our faith. We're not talking about our struggles in our faith. I could continue to give like explanation of what this should look like, but I'd like to show you, okay? I want you to see this 
in real life as we watch Ryan and Kelly's story. Let's watch together. Kelly and I met in college. And the college years, I was uh, far from God, didn't have anything to do with the church. And for about the first five years of our marriage, we didn't really have any kind of relationship with any church either. Our daughter Emily was born in uh, 2010, and we decided that we needed to start uh, finding a church home. So we found Hill Country. We'd attended a couple of Sundays and felt like this was a great place, but we would look around and see you know, people that look like they might be our age or that would be you know, potential friends, but we didn't really have a way to meet them. Uh, so we started attending a small group, and so we all just would gather weekly, mostly doing just you know, different topical studies, spent time together, growing together, built community together, and just really enjoyed what we were experiencing. I was pretty hesitant at first. Um, one, because I had a secret, you know. I, uh, when Kelly and I met in college, um, I was living with some guys that smoked a lot of pot, and uh, she quickly said that, that that wasn't okay with her. And so at that point, I started to hide it. I smoked all day, every day, for uh, a good portion of 10 years of our marriage. From my perspective, I just always wanted him to stop smoking like it just seems so so simple to me and I didn't understand the depth of the addiction through the community that we had in that small group he built trust and felt like he could be honest with these guys and I think through the prompting of the Holy Spirit he um, shared just how m much of a struggle he had and so they encouraged him one night to come home and tell me the truth you know he thought it was gonna be you know smooth sailing that I would be so thankful that he had just told me the truth and that everything was gonna be picture perfect and it wasn't. Um, when he came home that night and told me I was asleep, he woke me up and he was just ready to you know, come clean. I told him that I'd had enough, that he you know, was gonna have to leave. The next morning, uh, you know, all the wives knew and and of course all the guys knew and um, these guys in the group uh, called me up and said, hey, we want to mate with you today. Uh, would you be willing to meet with us and Kelly? And you know, I was pretty distraught at the time and I said, sure. So uh, four guys in my group uh, took off work on a Friday and we met at a house. I walk in and there's four guys and Kelly on one side of the table and me on the other side of the table. And they said, look, man, you know, we love you, we love your family, uh, but you gotta sort some stuff out here. And uh, we just want you to know that um, uh, if, if you can't take care of your family, then we will. And that's, uh, that was pretty tough, that was pretty hard for a tough guy like me to hear. That was the beginning of, of, a, of, of a transformation in me um, that I didn't have to do this all on my own, that I had guys that loved me and, and loved my wife and we were doing this together. So I can honestly say that if we hadn't had that group of guys and that small group and that 
period of time in our life that we would not be here today. We would not have made it. Having people who are there for you no matter what um, really just changes you know, your perspective in all situations. Even when I was struggling or struggling in my marriage or I was frustrated with Ryan, instead of jumping on the bandwagon and agreeing with me, they always painted a different um, perspective that I wasn't maybe aware of or hadn't considered. There was just still a lot of growth for me and it encouraged me to be more like them, to learn how to love uh, my husband and even to parent my kids um, in a godly way, in a Christ-like way, and seeing their example um, has changed my life. Amazing story. And uh, I just, since I know the Tuttles personally, when I look into the eyes of their children and think about the pain that could have been their life without that group of people that loved them enough to be involved, and, and, and just how much that's real for so many people that do not have the relationships that Jesus Christ told us to have, and a lot of it comes down to just being busy. We've got too much to do, and we don't build those relationships. And so one of the things that, as I observe this, I, I, I have two observations. First of all, here's a group of people that are committed. These men were committed to invest their lives in helping raise a family if a husband wasn't going to take care of his own stuff. And if he was, they were willing to walk with him, which they did through that journey, which is very difficult for those of you who've been through an addiction or maybe you're struggling with one right now. The second thing that I observe here is the trust that had been built to allow the conversation to take place. I mean, let's face it. So many of us, if somebody ever sat down and questioned what we were doing, we would get angry. We would lose it. We would say, I have enough toxic people in my life. I'm done with this group. I'm done with this church. I'm going to a place where everybody affirms me. But Ryan and Kelly didn't do that because they had built a relationship with a group of people that were following Jesus and they trusted them. In fact, Kelly told me later, she actually wrote this down for me, she said, here's the deal, everybody, God brought this group together before we knew how much we needed them. He formed the relationships long before we knew we were going to need the community that gets us through our most difficult time. He surrounded me with women who taught me how to walk with Jesus what it means to forgive and love unconditionally. They helped me see areas where I needed to grow. And that is what, that, that this wasn't a journey that God had Ryan on, but that he was working on both of us. All of those things were built in because that group was showing Jesus to Kelly before this crisis ever came. Now, some of you are asking the question, uh, where, how do I get in that group? Right, that's what I need. I need a group like that. I've visited a lot of groups and, you know, a lot of, like, I just, you know, I just can't find a group of people that fit me. 
So here's a principle that I hope all of you can embrace and get clearly in your head. Community is not something you find, but something you forge. Too many of us think that there's an ideal group of people, and if we could just find that ideal group of people that we click with, everything's going to be heaven. Here's the problem. There's no such thing as an ideal group of people because none of us are ideal. And so if you truly want to build relationships that go deep, you've got to be the real you with real people that have real issues. And sometimes the people that frustrate you the most are the people that God puts in your life to actually help you grow and sharpen you. I picked the word forge specifically because everybody that understands the process of forging something understands there's heat involved. In fact, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, friction, sparks, heat, so one person sharpens another. You go through the hardships together, and you grow in your bond. So don't be looking for the ideal community. Be looking for a place where you can forge relationships. And you may find that the people have no, are nothing like you. Jesus took 12 disciples, and they had different political views. They came from dis- different socioeconomic backgrounds. And he pulled those 12 guys together and formed a community. Now he's telling them, you do the same for each other. Jesus goes on to say, by this love, you guys loving each other in community, sharing your lives in community, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. The mark of a follower of Jesus is they live in relationship, deep personal relationships that are redemptive in nature with other people. And out of the overflow of that, the world gets to see that God is all about relationships, love and transformation through those relationships. Now, interestingly enough, as profound as these two verses are, the disciples didn't even hear what Jesus had to say. It was later that they came back to it. Watch their reaction. Notice in the next verse, it says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? They don't even get it. They, they, they are so stuck on Jesus is leaving and you can't come with us that they're saying, we can't be Jesus to each other. We've got to stay with you. And here's the conversation. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot come. Follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter's always trying to control God. Anybody else have that issue? (laughs) Always trying to control God. Um, Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that's going to happen in a few sermons. We're going to get to this where Peter actually did it. Now, Jesus knows that they're freaked out, and in his compassion for them, he tells them something else that's really profound. Notice what he says in chapter 14. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Like, don't freak out. God's got this. I've got a plan. And then he says these comforting words. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus says, I'm going to prepare heaven for you. That's where I'm going. And we see that Jesus is the placemaker. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want you to notice, though, there's almost no description of heaven in this explanation. It's all relational. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, the Father has a big house with plenty of room for all of you and many others. And he wants you in his big house. I'm going there to make sure that you've got a place reserved in the big house. And I'm going to come back because I want you, he doesn't say to be in the big house. He says, I want you to be with me. God is all about relationships. Now, if you want to find out what heaven's going to be like, what the kingdom's going to look like, go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There's a big description of it. That's not what Jesus is pointing to here. What Jesus is pointing to here is, I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to be working on your behalf, and eventually we're all going to be together. That's my plan. That's where I'm going. And you know how to get there. In response to that, Thomas, my favorite disciple, who asked lots of questions that I'm thinking the same thing, maybe you are too. He says, Lord, verse 5, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Like, how are we going to follow somebody that's already gone? And Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What is Jesus? He's not only the placemaker, Jesus is the waymaker. Jesus says, you don't have to get on some kind of a pathway to enlightenment. You do not need to put in place a system of religion or rules. That's not what's going to get you to heaven. In fact, as Christians, we only practice our faith out of a relationship with Jesus because that's how we experience love and thrive, not in order to earn a relationship with Jesus. And God sent Jesus into the world as the way maker because we would not get there. And so every form of human religion that tries to come up with a system for humans to work hard to better themselves, to improve themselves in such a way that somehow they will earn their way into the presence of a holy God will always and ultimately fail. You know how I know that? Because if we could fix ourselves, we would have. Like, we'd have utopia on earth right now. Why would we follow a religion that says, you get after it, you work hard, you believe hard, and if you do that, you're going to become holy and perfect? In fact, most of us intuitively know that those people who travel the path of telling you they're holy and perfect fall into the trap of pride and it gets just ugly, right? 
That's why God sent his son into the world so that we could have life through him so that he could make a way for us to come to the Father. So Jesus is like, you don't have to worry about how to get to heaven. You just have me. Put your trust in me. Believe in me. And we're going to see in the next couple chapters what unfolds over the next 15 hours or so that Jesus does to secure your way into God's family. Now, Jesus says, like, if you know me, you know the Father. So this is relational. God's relational. You know me. Well, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus is hurt right here. You can see it in what he says next. Jesus' next words were, don't you even know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you, among you for such a long time, you don't, you don't, you don't know me? You don't understand? So he's asking Jesus, just do one more thing. Like, for crying out loud, I just raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's not enough? Oh, my friend, the skeptic, the cynical one, what would it take? Because what I find is, is the practice of being cynical always is asking for one more thing. Oh, if God would just speak to me. <laughs> Actually, I had a friend who God spoke to him and he said, yeah, but he didn't show himself. So be careful about thinking. Oh, you know, I've seen a lot of evidence for the truth, but if I just had one more, my guess is you'd keep down the same path. At some point along the way, you've got to say yes to Jesus. You've got to say yes to Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it isn't the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. Like, at least believe those things. So Jesus is calling on them to believe. And then he brings them back to what he's been trying to teach them about how to thrive. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. What has he been doing? Jesus has told them, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. As you show love to each other in community, people will see a transformed life out of love. Jesus has been showing them the Father by what he's been doing. And he says, anybody who has faith in me will also be ones who show other people the Father as well. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you put your faith in me, you will thrive when you actually share Jesus with the community. So we live in community and share our lives as Jesus would, but we go into the community and we share that love with others just like Jesus did so that they can experience this as well. And this is so profound. In fact, he says something else that blows my mind. 
He says, he, that's the one who believes in me, loves like me, and shares that love with people who don't yet know Jesus, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What? Jesus, you're the Son of God. I'm flawed to the very core of my being. And I'm going to do greater works than you? And Jesus says to his disciples, yeah, you're going to do greater works. What do you mean? He said, well, I'm going to the Father. I'm, I'm leaving now, and I'm leaving you the mission. And the mission will thrive under you. It will expand in explosive ways. So Jesus picked the 12, called them to be with him, and yet one of them bailed out, Judas bailed out. Beyond that, we know from the book of Acts that he had about 120 that were pretty close to that inner circle and about 500 followers that were following him right to the end. In fact, he actually appeared after he rose from the dead, to over 500 people. So we know that he had a group of people that he showed himself to clearly in his resurrection. But on the first day that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Peter and John got up and preached and 3,000 people were baptized into the faith. The first megachurch. You think that's not funny? Like that, that's, that's what I got. Like 3,500 people the first day became part of the church and it just exploded from there until it swept through the whole Roman Empire and the majority were Christian. And it's continued to over 2 billion people on the planet today. Greater things. I think back to the founding of Hill Country Bible Church. 1986, 17 people meeting in a vitamin store, talking about, we need a church in far northwest Austin. And they launched Hill Country Bible Church. That came three years later. They'd already launched the church. It was moving forward. Since that time, we've been part of planting over 40 churches in the Austin area, all throughout the city. Our Easter Sunday attendance among our 40 churches prior to COVID was 1.2% of the whole population of the five counties that make up Greater Austin from 17 people. None of them with a seminary degree, all work in regular jobs. They believed. In addition to that, we've seen God work and use our church in incredible ways. We've been involved in two church planting movements, one in Central Asia and one in China. We don't talk about it very much because these are restricted access countries, but the impact that our church has had in those areas has been phenomenal. Like, you're going to meet people in heaven that go, you're from Hill Country Bible Church? Yeah, I know you. I know you. Your people came to my village. That's going to happen. Like, not because we're amazing, but Jesus said he's going to do greater things through us. Let me bring it down to home. 
a few years ago, we had two students make a decision that they were going to share the gospel with every student at Leander High School. And they spent their senior year, two 17-year-old guys, moving from group to group, table to table, got their lunches on different shifts so that they could cover sharing the gospel with every single person that would listen to them. Greater things. God's doing things through the people that actually make this commitment to thrive the way Jesus has called us to thrive. And that's the opportunity and the challenge that we have before us. It doesn't take away from our lives. As we talked about in the study at the very beginning, it actually enhances our lives. The way of Christ gives us everything that we need and transforms us in powerful ways. So my question is, do you have a group of people that are loving you like Jesus loves you, speaking into you, helping you move forward, growing in your faith, and are you doing that for others? And are you passing along what you know to the community? Because Jesus is very deeply involved in that. And when you get involved in that, you're working with him. In fact, notice how he closes this little paragraph. He says in verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus said, I'm available to answer all the prayers that you're asking. Now, some people have just pulled that verse out of the context of this passage and just said, oh, you mean if I use the name of Jesus in my prayers, he's going to do anything? I need a new car in Jesus' name. (laughs) Where is it, right? Let me just clarify for you so you get this. <laughs> Pray in my name, not say in my name. Okay? You get the difference? What Jesus is saying is, is that when you are calling on me to actually resource you in the mission that I've called you to be involved in, I will provide everything you need, not just tag the words in Jesus' name onto anything you want, and I will do that. That's kind of silly, right? What Jesus is saying is, listen, if you feel like you don't have community, start asking and seeking, and I'm going to get that for you. I'll put you with a group of people. You may not like them at first, but you will forge those relationships, if you seek it. If you're trying to share with your friends and your neighbors and you think, I don't know enough or I'm afraid or like, give me an opportunity and you start asking, I will provide those things. If you say, I want to do something for you, Jesus, and you start asking, Jesus, I know this is what you want. This is who you are. This is your name. Then you're going to see God exploding your life. So many of us are living the boring American dream, wondering why we're so busy and depressed. And Jesus says, come to me, and you're going to thrive. My prayer is 
that would be you in 2022. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you for the call. I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for each person that's been part of this teaching and how your spirit is speaking to each person right now. And every one of us knows that you have something for us. My prayer is that we would have the courage this day to step into that, to make commitments, decisions, and relationships that would transform this life for us and eternity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen. To experience everything we have to offer, visit us online at hcbc.com. And as always, thank you for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.